You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Brent Bergherm, your host for this episode, and today I'm joined by my friend, Jeff Harmon. How's it going, Jeff? It's going well, going well. I'm glad to be back. I had a one-week hiatus, wasn't able to be on the podcast last week, and this week I'm stretching it <laughs> to yeah. get there. Uh, I'm on a business trip for the day job, and so it's uh, not my usual setup. Hopefully, the audio is going to sound okay, but I just can't stay away for more than one week, so oh, that's I had right. to be on. That's yeah. right. Awesome. It's good to have you here. So we had some listener questions that we wanted to address. So we've seen a lot of things coming in the Facebook group. And so, you know, we kind of were talking before we were recording a couple hours, several hours ago. And we're like, well, let's let's go with some listener stuff that's happening in the Facebook group. And that's one thing I really want to kind of give a shout out for, for those listeners who are active in that Facebook group. I think that's just awesome. It's a great community, a great place to come together and get some questions answered maybe just kind of poke around and maybe you don't want to answer or comment on anything, but you can still learn something there, I'm sure. So if you haven't checked out that Facebook group, take a look at the Master Photography Facebook group and join in on the fun and in on the conversation. And there's just lots of things happening there. Absolutely. I can't recommend the Facebook group enough. It's it's a fun uh, culture there. We, we make sure that we keep the uh, comments and the, we, we do a good job, I think, of moderating things yeah. so that uh, we, we keep it a positive community. It's a good place. I, I'd love to have a different platform to, to host it on and, and find another alternative to it. We've tried a few in the past uh, when we were back when it was improved photography for the podcast, but there's just nothing that's... Um, the right price <laughs> right. for that. So, so for now, Facebook is, is where that community is. We'd love to have everyone come. Absolutely. All right. So the first question, I put a thing out there just saying, hey, we're going to record and what questions do you have? So we had uh, plenty of people responding. And so thank you for that. And so the first question comes from Braden Brozda. And he asks, how would you guys recommend finding a workshop? I'm looking to go to a local landscape photography workshop, and there are many photographers I consider good in my area that are offering one. So how would you go about finding one, finding the right instructor for me? All have excellent testimonials. Would I go based on whose style I like best, or are there other factors to look into? So Jeff, what do you think? All right. So if I was going to pick a workshop, one of the primary things I'd want to find out about is how was the workshop run? What, what do they do? Cause there's, there's really kind of, I mean, there's lots of ways to approach this, but I think there's two primary ways that it goes. One is more of a, a tour guide style workshop where they're going to take you and they're going to put you in places where you're going to have good opportunities to be able to shoot the local area. And uh, they'll take you to the landmark things or, or places where you're going to have a chance to add to your portfolio, but they're not really there to instruct you. They're not there to help you decide what settings to use, what composition to use, whatever it is. There's, it's more of a tour guide kind of field. The other kind is 
the other way where they, they may still offer, we're going to take you to the places we're going to see it, but I'm also going to spend one-on-one attention with you. I'm going to help you to get your settings right, get your composition right. I'm going to help you maybe even do some post-processing in the downtimes during the day of the workshop. Uh, to me, though, you, you've got to figure out which of those two are they offering. Yeah. Um, there's There's been some, I, I know there's some workshops where like the more of the tour guide kind, the first kind, the, the photographer is there and they want to get photo, their own photos too. So that's why there isn't as much one-on-one there. They're, really what they're offering is just come, come and shoot the same area I'm shooting in, but I'm going to shoot. I'm not, I'm not there to set everyone up or they may offer a little bit of advice, but they're, they're there to get a shot. Whereas some of the others, they may not even set up a camera. They, they might be right there and highly focused on, on helping you shoot. So you kind of need to figure out which of those two they are. It, and then like he'd said in his question, based on the style of work, that's a very good indicator too. Which, what is it that um, you want to learn from them? Do you want to learn how to take photos like they do? You like their style, then yeah, that's that's a great way to kind of pick. Besides what the workshop is actually going to be like, being able to to make sure that you're going to get out of it, uh, being able to create photos the same with the same kind of look that they have, uh, is a great objective. If you enjoy their style of photography, that's something that I would look for. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. In in saying if that's a style that you admire, certainly that's probably something you can absorb from them too. Uh, there is something to be said, too. What I've experienced when I've had, uh, like, for instance, last year at the Create Photography Retreat, I had a workshop, a couple of workshops, actually, in Charleston. There were definitely some people who were really wanting me to set up that tripod and set up a shot and the like. And it was interesting. I was trying to balance it myself, saying, you know, my approach is going to definitely be I want to focus all on you guys. But then there were some that were just saying, well, when are you going to shoot, Brent? And so there is sometimes that expectation, too. And the person can be leading the way with how they're shooting and talking about that. But it all comes down to that that essence of what sense do you get when they're talking about how they approach the workshop? Uh, I wouldn't fault a photographer for shooting as well. It's just what are their goals when they're shooting? Yeah. And, and that's where I, if, if we can splice that hair a little bit, that's where I would look at it too. And if that's something you can discern from what their listing is on their website, what have you, uh, then that might help you decide, yeah, I'm going to get more what I want out of this workshop versus that workshop. Or even if you can't discern from the website, they probably have some mechanism to contact them, email, web post, something. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, ask some questions about it. What, what, I guess deciding up front, what is it that you're looking to get out of the workshop? And then ask some questions to make sure that that's what's going to be provided in the workshop. If And, and hopefully they'll be pretty upfront with you. Like, well, no, that's not really what we do. I, I don't really... Uh, do a lot of instruction. I'll ask a, answer a question or two, but I'm not I'm not going through all the photographers in the workshop and helping them. Or yeah, that's exactly how it works. We all get up, we all go to the same spot, and I go visit each photographer and we go through what it is that they're setting up, what kind of photo are they trying to create, and I I try to help. You know, you can just you can ask some questions and be able to make sure that what you're looking to get out of the workshop is what they plan to provide. Yes, absolutely. Questions are definitely good. And that's something that I think you can also just, depending on how they, uh, I think what you're saying is depending on how they answer, and I might even say maybe even the length of answers they give you. Sure. If if they go into that detail, you know you're getting a, a truly thought out message, a truly thought out response. And if they're kind of like, well, 
yeah, of course I do that, you know, or something like that. I was like, well, I don't know if that's the response that you really want. You, <laughs> right. you, you want something that, that resonates with you and, and maybe some of the more detail will resonate with you. And you're, you're looking for different experiences between as you're just starting in your journey towards mastering your photography versus you're well down the path. And right. th at that point, you, you really are looking for more of the tour guide experience because you're an experienced photographer. You kind of know what you want to create, but you're not sure where to go. Where are the, the best like non-touristy sort of places mm -hmm. to be and uh, having a tour guide that's going to take you to some interesting places where there's a, a high pop probability that you're going to capture a, and create a nice shot. That's what, that's the kind of workshop that people do look for when they're more experienced. And that's great. They, that's good that they exist. And that's why they're there. You just got to decide, you know, each photographer individually is, well, what is it I want to get out of the workshop and how do I figure out if I'm going to get that from, you know, this workshop that yeah. you're looking at? Yes, absolutely. So the next question, Jeff Mesco asks, do either of you have experience shooting macro? If so, do you have any thoughts on the pros and cons of reversing rings versus extension tubes versus an actual macro lens? I can find info about all these, but not much info comparing them to each other and things to consider for each choice. Thanks. So if I um, would start out on this, I would say certainly, yes, I enjoy macro myself. And I just don't, I, like many types of photography, I just don't do it enough. My go-to solution usually is an extension tube, though, or, or extension rings, just depending on what they're calling it. These are basically just spacers that put space between the camera and the, the lens itself, the camera body and the lens. And so they uh, effectively, by doing that, they're changing the focusing capabilities of that lens. And they usually come in kits. They have varying lengths. I just bought one for the Sony a6400 that I acquired recently. And that has a 10 millimeter and a 16 millimeter tube. And then you can stack them to make a total of 26 millimeters. So you can get that extra magnification going with more, uh, you know, length on those tubes. I think they're great because they're compact and lightweight and they're really easy to just toss in most camera bags. You know, you usually have just a little bit extra room possibly for you to squeeze a little bit more. And they usually hover around 100 or less for the kit. So that's pretty nice. And I like the models that support electronic contacts. And I'm not really concerned about autofocus when doing that because it's about aperture, aperture control that I'm looking for. I, I want to be able to stop down that lens if possible. And with the autofocus, that depth of field is so narrow and you're adjusting how the camera can even comprehend focus. So it's going to rely on its contrast focus anyway. And yeah, you still can nail a focus, but it's just... For me, it's about it's more about getting that aperture control. And so when you attach that thing, you actually will, if it's on a zoom lens, you focus with your zoom ring first. And then that can certainly feel pretty strange, focusing with the zoom ring. And then after you focus with that, you can fine-tune your focus with your focus ring. And then you start shooting. Have you used these types of things, uh, Jeff, uh, the extension tubes? I, I own extension tubes, uh, except they're contactless. So it's just the dumb... Okay. The dumb version. 
I have never shot them yet. Oh, <laughs> I got them a while ago. That It's actually going to be a project for me this summer. I want to dive into macro photography. Nice. I want to open that door and experiment with it. So it's a, it's a timely question. I had already decided I want to get the, um, the rings that have the contacts for the same reason so that you can actually control the aperture through the camera instead of uh, trying to do it yourself, do it manually. I also am interested, I, I have a, a 100 millimeter macro lens too. It's an yeah. older version. It's someone like, uh, I think it was someone, a friend of mine had his dad had passed and he had this lens hanging around and he knew I was a photographer. So he, he just gave it to me. So mm. I've never used it yet. So I'm excited to go try out that 100 millimeter macro lens too. Yeah. Is that a Canon 100 millimeter? think so i think yeah. that was the, the brand name yep beautiful uh yeah if it's the older model it's about the same optical formula as the one i shot and uh, a little while ago when i when i used to have that lens and definitely when you go dedicated macro there's a certain obviously you're working with a whole lens uh rather than right. just one of your existing lenses and you're modifying it with this attachment and certainly you can also put these step rings or these these extension tubes on a macro lens and so that would work pretty well too but when you're working with a macro lens i i, I do like that because you you tend to get a little bit better quality image a macro lens is just there's just something about it that's just like hmm, it's awesome and to be able to have that that doubles as a portrait lens you know that's always nice as well uh, but you get that really close focusing but the biggest thing for me on the difference between that macro lens and then using extension tubes is the fact that you're going to have usually a fairly good working distance. On that macro lens that you're talking about, your working distance to get things at one-to-one uh, ratio. So if it's you know like one inch out there in real life, then it is reproduced one inch on your sensor itself. You're at about 12 inches away from that. Maybe it's 11.9, whatever, but you're about 12 <laughs> inches away from that subject. And so that's a healthy working distance. When you're dealing with the extension tubes, you're probably going to be getting a little bit closer in than that. It just depends on the length of your lens. So right. if you're like on a 400 millimeter lens, you're going to have significant working distance. Whereas if you're on a 50 millimeter lens, you're going to be right on top of that thing when you put that extension tube on there, maybe four inches away, five inches away, something like that. You're going to be super close to it. So it just, it can kind of depend. Okay. What about the reversible rings? That was part of his question. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, definitely. Personally, I've not used the reversible rings myself. And if you're unfamiliar with what this is talking about, we're dealing with an, a special adapter that allows you to effectively screw this thing onto the front of your filter uh, ring on the front of your lens. And then that has a camera a mount, a body mount. So effectively you're mounting the lens in reverse. And then you've mm -hmm. got the tail end of the lens pointing out there at the world. And, you know, we can kind of get a little nervous and say, oh, my goodness, that whole, you know, all those contacts and everything out there is, is susceptible. Certainly, you don't want to be a little extra careful. The problem I have with those reversible rings is just the idea that, especially on a zoom lens, and that's pretty much all the lenses I own. I don't have hardly any prime lenses, but if you're on a zoom lens, that's a lot of weight that you're putting on that movable yeah. barrel. And I, I just feel very uncomfortable with that. If you have a 50 millimeter F1.8, let's say, that's a very lightweight lens and it's fixed. So you don't have to worry about that extension of that tube. Something like that, I would say you're probably totally cool with and you're going to be okay with a reversible ring. Uh, but on that, on that idea of, of reversing uh, a zoom lens, 
especially if you're thinking of reversing like a 100 to 400, I'd say no way. <laughs> that is too heavy of a lens for that yeah. to support that way. I just can't imagine doing that. Well, and you have the manual aperture issue there too, right? Yeah. So there are some, uh, I forget who makes these, but there are some manufacturers they will actually create a reversible ring kit that effectively has a cord and it runs around <laughs> to the, the now front of the lens. So you uh -huh. can control the aperture. Those are like a hundred bucks. If you're going to go that route, I say just get extension tubes. It's way simpler. And I think you're just going to have a better time with it. And it's, right. it works with any lens. Whereas if you get a reversible ring, you're going to have to then get a step up or step down rings. So it will fit to your lens opening, you know, that, that thread opening. So I, I say go, don't go that route. Go with extension tubes. Those are the easiest way, in my opinion, the cheapest and easiest way to get into macro photography. And give it a, a go. What What about then, you said you don't have many primes. What lens do you use? So the 24 to 70 is usually my go-to lens on my Canon. Okay. And that has what I call a pseudo macro setting. So it has a little switch that you can hit. Because I have the F4 model, which has image mm -hmm. stabilization. And that has this, this little pseudo macro. So you hit that button and the zoom ring turns a little bit more beyond the 70 millimeter range and then uh, that allows for some close focusing and it's a pretty good decent thing it's like a one to three as um magnification ratio uh on the sony that i just got i only have the 18 to 135 so i would just slap it on there and i have yet to do this actually because i when i went to san francisco that's the only camera i took and i actually forgot to take those extension tubes with me so I don't have any experience with it yet, but basically I would just slap it on there, focus with wherever it needs to go with that um, with that zoom ring. And since I'm not going to be too terribly close to the subject, I know it'll be closer to the 100 millimeter region rather than that 18 millimeter region. That would just be, you know, I'd be like right on top of it if I were at 18 millimeters. Is there a brand of the contact focus, the, the ones that have the electrical contacts, fo um, extension tubes? I'm not sure I can say that I would absolutely recommend one over the other, but okay. the Velo brand is what I ended up getting. I think it was Velo for the Sony, and then I have Kenko for the Canon. And, and Kenko's the brand I think I'm going to go with. Yeah, the Kenko came in a kit of three that I have, so I really like that because there's three. And then that Velo for the Sony E-mount, that only had two in there. But, you know, I was looking at it, I was like... I, I hardly go with a really long one anyway, and I can stack them, so I'm not going to care. All right, our next question is by Nelson Tapius, and he asks, I'd like to hear how you two balance photography while on vacation with family, packing, shooting, what you make time for, photography-wise, and what you skip. How do your family's quotes deal with your photo needs? Jeff, let's have you start off with this one first. Okay, perfect. Um, this is why I missed the podcast last week because I was on vacation with my family. And um, so, yeah, I, I brought my gear. I brought uh, um, one uh, a backpack full of lenses and two bodies and SD cards and batteries. I didn't bring any flashes because I wanted to do more landscape on the trip. We went down to southern Utah, St. George area. So there's lots of places to go. Um, but we were there for my kids to have, uh, my, I have a son graduating high school and it's kind of the last family vacation we'll probably take as it is. Uh, our life is going to change a wow. lot yeah. after he graduates and it's going to be a different story. So, so it, the focus was definitely on what do my kids want to do? What activities are we going to do? And my wife had a bunch of things that she wanted to do in the area. 
um, which which was great. We we rode scooters, we rode bikes, we went on hikes. We did a lot of stuff together. That was fun. Um, you know, got to the pool at the hotel, stuff like that. And um, it, and I was I I kind of thought, well, I'm just going to get up early and try to find a spot for sunrise to get a, some photos because um, everyone would be asleep. I was so dead tired yeah. <laughs> with with all the stuff we were doing during the day, all the activity we were doing. I was so tired. I just didn't want to get up. So I, I mostly just skipped it until we did go on one hike. And I, I have some photos I've already shared on, on Facebook and Instagram. So if you follow me, you've already seen it. The Kanara Falls there near St. George. We went and hiked that. And my family wanted to see it. So, so that was um, already planned as an activity we're going to do. I just dragged my camera gear with me so I could take photos of the falls at the very end of it. So if people aren't familiar with or heard that, then it's, it's a falls where you hike about two miles in um, on a trail. It's, it's not tremendously difficult as far as like uh, rise in elevation goes. It is def- definitely a rise in elevation, but it's not a really tough hike. The thing that can make it challenging is you have to cross a stream that's going along. Like the trail is zigzagging across the, a stream all the way up to the falls. Depending on the time of the year, this can either be miserable or not a big deal. <laughs> this was the miserable part of the mm. year that we went. The water was probably around 36 degrees um, in this stream. And we had kind of a record. It's it's not truly a record, but it was a very good wet winter in Utah this year. And so the stream was a lot more to the river side of things than the stream side (laughs) of things. 36 degrees and really big. So normally they say you should be prepared for at most about shin deep in the water. And it's usually warm enough. It's not really that big a deal anyway. Just so that people are prepared with their shoes. And there were plenty that were on the trail that day that had just tennis shoes on. But you, you may not want that. You may want to be more prepared to go across the, the stream. Probably between uh, 15 and 20 times you have to go across the stream. Wow. Zigzagging back and forth. And <laughs> so so we're going through and, and we had some water shoes on. We knew what to prepare for. I had no idea it would be so cold. And so so the first time across, we're like, oh, that's chilly. That's cold. But then, um, you know, by about the 10th or 15th time we had to cross it, my feet were so frozen, even though, you know, you walk, I don't know, 20 or 30 yards in between the next time you have to cross. Um, they were just so cold. They were really hurting and it was it was kind of miserable. And then the falls themselves, when you go in to take the picture of the falls, you end up... Um, standing in this water like the whole time there's no it's a slot canyon it's completely filled with water Uh, at least it was the time of year that i went there so there's no relief you can't like get off to the side and and try to warm your toes up or anything it's it's just cold so anyway that the the point of the story is that was the time that i took my camera stuff with me and um i did you know, make my family wait for a little bit while I set up the tripod and took some photos of the waterfalls, but they were fine with because I hadn't really done it more than just that little bit that was there. I, I, you know, we took pictures of our, with our phones a lot of some of the other things that we saw and, and it was fun, but I definitely kept it in mind like that. We weren't there for me to get photos. That wasn't the purpose of this trip. And I, it totally would have been open if they wanted, if I wanted to go out and do sunrises, that's probably the time that I would suggest, uh, for, for Nelson. If, if he's planning a vacation with his family, most of the time the family's going to want to sleep in. So don't, 
I wouldn't expect you're going to have a whole lot of sunrise oppor- or sunset opportunities because the family's together then, or the right. you're going to have dinners, you're going to have you're going to have things where people are going to want to be together during sunset times. Um, so sunrise though is probably open if you can sacrifice your own sleep and and want to go out and get some shots. Then that that's what I would do. But I, I, I you know family time I to me that is really really important time, and I wouldn't sacrifice that time for a, you know, a photo shoot of some kind. Um, others may feel differently, but for me, that's just untouchable time. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. My approach is largely similar, but I will often go ahead and get up for that sunrise because (laughs) I am so much, it's just so hard for me to sleep in. (laughs) I'm such a morning person and so I'll I'll normally wake up at, I don't know, five o'clock and I don't need to get out of bed until like six on my normal work days, let's say. Uh, so when I'm out and about, I'll be up and I'm just like, might as well do something. So I, I usually will get out there and uh, do a little bit of research and get out there and do a few things. And then I'm back at the hotel room, the Airbnb, whatever we're doing. Uh, by the time it's nine o'clock, maybe nine thirty at the latest. And the wife is a late riser, uh, but we also have four kids. And so she's not as a late riser as she'd like to be, <laughs> right. but, but it just doesn't, you know, it, it just doesn't work out otherwise, you know, for me to try and do something mostly during the day, largely because again, we have four kids and that just gets a little difficult. Now this summer I'm actually planning since I had my whole plans and vacation and travel and whatnot kind of thrown tossed into the blender. We've actually reconfigured everything and we are actually now doing a three and a half week road trip. And it's probably actually, if I were to include the time in Idaho where I'm spending with my folks, probably would extend out to four weeks. So we're going to spend some significant time on the road. And part of this, though, I'm actually doing some workshops, some printing workshops, uh, both in Boise and in Denver. And if I can squeeze one out, I'm going to do it in Chicago area as well. And so that's part of, you know, going to take some days out. So that's part of the planning. And so the wife knows you know, I've right. got these things that I'm already planning for. And so it is a working vacation, as we call it. So in this kind of sense, too, because it's a working vacation, those times with family are definitely going to be a little more family focused, like kind of like what you're saying. But when we're going to be in Denver, we're going to be there for like five days. And there's there's certainly some listeners that are there that have already reached out and been like, oh, you know, this place and that place. And certainly I've been doing my own research, um, but I'm actually leaving the research mostly up for the wife to do because I just want her to feel a little more ownership with this trip. And then whatever I can squeeze in myself, I'll certainly bring the camera. When we go on a hike with the kids, uh, do whatever uh, we might end up doing. Also, my folks are going to come at least to Denver. So it's going to be more than just the six of us. It's going to be eight of us with my folks along. So I'll certainly be taking pictures and whatnot. It's just not going to, I'm not going to force the family to wait while I'm waiting for that perfect light kind of a thing. I'm just going to understand that this may not be something I can get. But that's also why I like to find a place that has lots of good photogenic things. And of course, with listener suggestions and the like, it's been wonderful uh, to have those uh, people come out and offer some great suggestions because they can probably make my shooting a little more efficient. And then I might end up just going back time and again to uh, the same place so I can get it in different light because I have such a limited amount of time at that location. And, and and so that's where 
I might not get as broad of a coverage that I might normally get, but I'll still get some good images, I think, because I'm going to revisit that spot a couple of three times maybe uh, in the morning. And then it's hopefully close to the house or, or whatever we're going to be doing and and we'll be able to get some good results that way. But it is a balance for sure. And it's something that we need to uh, be thinking of. Uh, one last location we're going to head to, uh, Scott's Bluff, Nebraska. My wife is always like, you keep saying Scott's Bluff. Why do you, what's with you and Scott's Bluff? And I'm just like, <laughs> well, in 2015, we did a big family road trip. And in some of our traveling around, because we were staying in South Dakota at a facility there. And when we ended up, when we, we would do some volunteer work for this group in the morning, and then in the afternoon, that's when we kind of did our, our little excursions. And so I went, got down to Scott's Bluff, but I had gotten there like 20 minutes before they closed. And ever since then, it's just gorgeous. It's just this flat prairie land. And all of a sudden, boom, there's this bluff sitting there and you can drive up to the top. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And so for the last almost four years now, I've been just like, man, I'd love to get back. I'd love to get back. And so we're going to spend two nights there camping at Lake Minotaur or Minotaur and get a get a chance to go photograph and and so that's one of my other quote working days as well to where I'll be able to at least take about a half a day and hike up hike down do something with Scott's Bluff and get some pictures there hopefully I get the right weather hopefully it's stormy hopefully I get something that's you know moody and whatnot and it'll just make an awesome picture yeah that sounds fun so yeah crossing the old fingers hopefully it'll work out all right the next question comes from Daniel Konichko is how I would think that is, and I'm sure I'm <laughs> slaughtering that name, and I apologize. This is a rather open-ended question, though, and it can be a little bit challenging sometimes when we don't know some more specifics, but I figured we would tackle it anyway, because I know there's going to be other listeners out there that this applies to. And the question is, what is the best way to process a photo, and is there a certain way to get the best results? Yeah, that is open. Wow. And so there's there's a little bit of open-endedness here, and I'm just like, well, it, it, it kind of depends. And I, and I hate giving that answer, but it does kind of depend. However, I think there's maybe something we can still help because I'm going to start making a couple of assumptions, and then Jeff certainly, uh, you know, counteract me, tell me I'm wrong, think up <laughs> okay. of different ways for how this applies to someone else, that kind of a thing. Sure. First off, I always start off by shooting in RAW. So, you know, the best way to process the photo, we have the most flexibility when we're shooting in the RAW format. And when we're exposing, I'll definitely think about that subject. And I'm literally going through this right now with my photo students. I've got 36 students in my principles of photo class, and easily 75% of them have hardly ever picked up a camera that actually has these manual controls. You know, they're used to the cell phones, of course, and whatnot. But when you're starting to think, you know, this is our shutter and what it's about. This is our aperture and what it does, that kind of a thing. It is a mind bender. And that's a lot of information to think about when you're trying to balance that exposure and all that stuff. So it's about considering the subject and exposing that image right, quote unquote, for the subject. And there's certainly some variables to this that we need to think about. And experience is definitely going to pay off a lot. So I like to pay attention to the histogram. That's very important. And then in post-production... I will certainly, I usually use Lightroom and I look to optimize the images with a few key ideas in mind. And those ideas are to say to myself, does what I'm seeing on screen match what I saw and felt at the time that I was shooting? And I totally ripped that off from Ansel Adams. He was asked, you know, what's your goal with your photography? 
And he was saying, well, it's my intent to communicate what I saw and felt at the time that I was making this image. And so it may match fairly easily what I saw, but then I need to be willing to take those liberties to bring in a few more ideas of getting it closer to what I felt uh, at the time of shooting. And it can be fairly hard to talk specific since I don't know the level that Daniel is at with his photography. Uh, and it can also be, especially if you're a new photographer, if you're a beginner, everything I've said could be totally confusing. So it just, it, it, it does have a little bit to say of, it depends on where you're at in your photography uh, to take you to that next baby step forward uh, that gets you to the idea of, you know, the best results. So what what's your take on that? It, it is a really difficult question to answer um, because there are so many ways photos can be edited. The uh, I, I guess the thing I'd say is, and and for uh, for someone just starting out, which we are making an assumption there for with Daniel, yeah. If someone's just starting out, they're not going to know what I'm going to advise here. Right. <laughs> but having a creative vision is is kind of the biggest point to it, and, and it's tough to figure out what that's going to be for you. I I feel like um, after quite a few years now of, of doing a lot of photography and, and spending as much time, I'm, I'm a hobbyist, but I'm, I'm spending every spare moment that I can on photography. Um, I feel like I am only now, um, you know, it, in my 10,000 hour journey, I'm probably not even halfway there sure. um, to mastering something, which is, you know, kind of roughly the 10,000 hours, what it takes to master anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it's taken me, I don't know, I'm probably about 3,000, 4,000 hours in at this point. And it's taken me that long to feel like I can actually approach a, a shot and say, think in my head what I want to create and then make sure I capture it in camera the best I can towards helping me get there. And what knowing already, because I've had enough experience with Lightroom and Photoshop, um, being able to think exactly, not only how do I get it in camera, but what am I going to do with it when I get it on the computer? And how am I going to do that? And the two things are very tied together. I, there's there's things that I will do, deliberate decisions I will make as I'm capturing mm-hmm. the scene, as, I, as I'm setting up the settings in the camera, because I know what I'm going to do with it on the computer. I know how I'm going to be changing it and processing it. Um, so so I, I think having that creative vision while you're there, while you're shooting so that you know how you want to shoot and then how you want to process is, is a really key factor to, to all of it. And I I don't think there's just any way that you can get there. There's no replacing or shortcutting that process besides just a whole lot of practice, a whole lot of shooting, a whole lot of flipping all of the sliders and buttons and knobs that are in Lightroom Photoshop or whatever editor you you might want to use to process. You've just got to get some time behind the wheel absolutely, <laughs> and, and do it and try it out so that you can finally get to the point after some time of exactly what I just described. You have a creative vision, what you want to accomplish with this show, this, this photo, and then you're going to, that's going to dictate how you're going to capture the shot in camera and what you're going to do with it on the computer. And that just comes down to it of, like you said, experience and getting it done, getting it to the place of where you're comfortable with what you're doing and it's really cool when you have that first time where it, it, it comes over you and you're just like, oh, wait a second. 
when I was doing this type of image before and I did X, I was dissatisfied. I screwed up. I messed up somehow. But if I do Y here now, if I make this little subtle change, you know, everything will probably just fall into place maybe. And so you then experiment with that change and then it does work out for you. Yay. Uh, And that's certainly asking questions of your peers, uh, friends that are into photography, get on the Facebook group and ask questions, um, you know, that are a little more targeted uh, and maybe even with an example saying, you know, where can I go uh, to make this even better? Uh, That can, that can really um, be a big help. So keep, keep going at it. I guess. Yeah, keep going. Keep keep driving because it's going to take some time, especially if you're kind of towards the the start of this whole process. Don't get down on yourself. The the photos that you see on Instagram, that you see on Facebook, that you see photographers that that are sharing incredible things, they didn't just start yesterday and start oh, creating those photos. It's taking them years of experience and time and and efforts to get to the point where they're sharing those. And I guarantee they're only sharing a small portion of the photos they take. Oh my yes. So they're still taking a whole bunch that don't work and are terrible. And they, they don't, when they go to process and they're like, Oh, I thought I had something there, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> that still happens. Even the really good photographers, that's still happening to them. So, so have that mindset as you're going into this, it's, it's not exact and it never will be. Oh, and yeah. uh, you just you just get to the point where the percentage of keepers, the percentage of photos that work goes up, but you still have a percentage that don't. Absolutely. And think of this too, if if uh, especially if you're you're rather new and you're going out, think of it as just doing sketches or doodles. You yeah. Know? <laughs> right. Right. You're, you're not you're not a fine you know, painter, a fine drawer, or whatever you want to call it, uh, without lots of practice. And so you go out and do your sketch images and play around with it, get comfortable, get used to it, and you'll have little breakthroughs. And that's going to be really, really good. And, you know, myself, I've got 20 years experience. When I go to Hong Kong or wherever else, the first day and a half or two, totally other sketch images. I'm just not only getting over jet lag and getting my mind wrapped around photography, but it's about getting in that groove and you got to find it for that location, for that, how that's moving you and the, and the like. And it just takes, uh, sometimes it takes longer than others, but it, you do those sketch images and things are going to come out. All right. Absolutely. All right. Eric Holton asks, if someone was wanting to learn more about photography with all the sources, such as paid sites, LinkedIn, et cetera, which would you recommend? Assuming that the individual is willing to pay a monthly fee, which would you suggest? Well, for me, I think I would certainly start with free resources for sure uh, to get kind of a foundation. Uh, but once I got a few things figured out, I'd probably find some type, some resources that somehow I resonated with. The bare bones beginner stuff is certainly available, say on YouTube, and it's free. But there's nothing like, in my opinion anyway, there's nothing like a paid service, whether it's a subscription type model where you're a membership, whether it's an actual course that you're taking through, you know, hand very, you know, linearly hand taken by the hand and just methodical process and all that stuff that can really start just putting things right in line for you. So I'd look for things that are led by people that you resonate with and you're inspired by. I guess that's my basic idea there. What, what about you, Jeff? This is my very favorite thing to do. <laughs> All right. I love being able to, to teach 
people who are just starting out with photography, yeah. how to use their camera and how to do some post-processing. It's, it's so enjoyable to, uh, to do that. I, I love the look on someone's face. And we saw this at the retreat recent that we just got back from a little while ago. Um, there were lots of times where there were photographers who had never done, you know, whatever thing we were doing at the moment. And I, I love this experience where they take a shot and then they look at the back of their camera and that big smile that comes on their face. Like, I can't believe I just captured that shot. That, yeah. It, it, that was amazing. That was really, really fun. And I love sharing that moment with them and, and seeing that because I've had tons of those moments where I just can't believe I was able to create that image. And uh, it, it's just so, so much fun. So, I agree with you, Brent. I, I think don't jump into a paid version until you've, um, you've kind of figured out the basics, the really, really core basics, because there's so much available that's totally free on the basics. Um, I'll, I'll recommend it, even though it's it's not affiliated with our podcast any longer. But Jim Harmer's Improve Photography site is an excellent resource for someone that's just getting started. Totally free. He's got some YouTube videos that have a lot of uh, a lot of things there too. But there's there's written posts that are there for beginners. Um, I even contributed some of the articles uh, years ago. Um, to, towards that. And I'm, I'm hoping to build an online course myself. So if, I mean, it's not there today, so you can't use it today, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I do want to, to do that at some point when, when my kids um, are, are a bit more out of the house and that's, it's happening. It's not too long before, um, before that'll be there. I do have, I do have plans to create it because I do love teaching people who are just starting out how to use their, their cameras. Uh, another thing that you could look at it besides the free resources from, from say YouTube or ImprovedPhotography.com um, would be going to uh, your local like community college. And um, a lot of them will have beginning photography courses and that should get you a really good jump start on being able to figure out your, your um, triangle, the uh, all of the, the basic things about your camera um, so you can do it. The reason though I'd, I'd recommend maybe waiting on paying for something uh, very big is you you probably need to figure out kind of what genre of photography it is you want to spend time on. There's so many things, so many different types of photography, portrait, landscape, wedding. Uh, there's, there's lots of opportunities and things that are out there. Maybe you already know or think you know, um, but after you kind of learn some basics, then then the courses need are are going to be more along the lines of a single genre of photography, and those are very worth paying for. But you want to figure out which ones you want you want to tackle first, um, so that you don't spend a bunch of money and like yeah, that's not really what I was looking for, and and uh, can move on from there. So so I, I I'd recommend just like you said, Brent. Yeah, there's so much free resources for beginners to to get started that is good. And listening to the podcast here for sure is we we cater a lot to beginning photographers and talking about them things that that hopefully will help. So there's a there's a lot of backlog of audio that you could make sure you listen to as well. Yes, good good things there. David Richard Leadingham asks when I said, you know, do you have questions? He asks, boxes or briefs? Anyway, <laughs> thankfully he put an LOL and he's joking. Uh, so let's move on. He says, how about what has been your most memorable or defining moment of your photo careers? 
Has there ever been a time when you finished shooting something that you just sat back and thought, and this is the reason I pick up a camera? How about you, Jeff? That happens to me almost every time I go out. <laughs> oh, man. You, you pretty much stole my answer. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I continue to be just excited. And uh, I mean, I, I guess the only word I can think of is impressed, even though it's not going to be super impressive to others yet, I don't think. Um I I love it that I'm making continual progress. Every time I go out and shoot, I feel like I'm learning new things all the time, even though I've, I've spent lots of years now in all my free time trying to soak up and learn everything I can about photography. Um, I, I still feel this way almost every shoot when I go out there and just so excited that... Um, I created the images that I did and the, the improvements. Why I kind of like doing the annual top 10 too. We've talked about yeah. it on the podcast a, a lot and uh, we shared it in the Photo Taco Facebook group. We did, we usually uh, do a, a big thing about share your, your top 10 from the year. And that's, it's one of my favorite exercises because of this same thing. I, I get to go and look at the images that I got through the year and looking in year after year after year, I can see constant progression and like, wow, I'm, I'm really getting better at this as I continue to add more time and experience in, in shooting. So, so I love it. So is there a, a single one? My, probably the, the one that I like that I've enjoyed the very best was uh, a Milky Way shot I got at a scout camp when I was, I was there. Um, it's been a couple of years now, but it was a situation where I, I took a shot and I didn't even know the Milky Way was there. It was before I discovered the Photo Pills app. I wasn't planning to shoot a Milky Way. What I was planning to shoot was just a starry night sky with some really cool trees in the foreground and, and a tent that uh, some of the, the young Boy Scouts were in and had a, a flashlight lighting it up. And I thought it looked kind of cool. So I was creating a nice composition and was trying to, to capture that. And then as I looked on the back of the LCD screen, I, I noticed that the Milky Way was right there, right behind the tent. And uh, so repositioned and, and took a few shots there. And, and it was so much fun. It was, it was really, really fun to get that and then go in and post-process it. And I, I actually revisit that same image as I find new tools, trying to try different noise reduction things and trying to find uh, different tools that, that help me to, to draw more out of that photo all the time. So it's, it's one of my test images now for different photo editing kinds of things because um, I, I love the image and anything I can find that's going to help me to, to even pull a little more out of the shot is really fun to try out. What about you, Brent? That's, that's so cool. Yeah. So there's definitely pretty much every time I head out, especially on an international photo journey, because I'm just one that just capital L O V E loves travel. It is, there's just so much more than just photography. When I do that, it's about experiencing a different place, a different culture, different people, that kind of a thing is too. And that just really, I'm just gravitating towards that all the time. And when I'm at home, I'm always scheming. How can I, you know, plan my next trip? How can I make it work? How can I do this? How can I do that? And I'm just wanting to do that all the time. And then when I'm actually there, you know, it's just, it, it's like I'm a kid in a candy store <laughs> because yeah. everything looks so delicious and everything is so 
scrumptious and I want to photograph it all kind of a thing. And that's where I had mentioned, you know, before about doing sketch images because there is just this, you know, wide eyed look. And I am, I've done this enough times. I know that if I were to shoot everything in one sense, I'll probably be pretty glad I did because I'll get images I would have never thought otherwise, but they're really just record images. They're not my art. They're not my, my fine mm, type image. When I went to Hong Kong in August, last August, my intent was to find the what I was calling for myself. I don't necessarily talk about this a whole lot, but you know, once I say this, it's going to be out to thousands of listeners. But anyway, I was looking for the softer side of Hong Kong. I was trying to think to myself, you know, everyone knows about the city. Everyone knows about the downtown, the core, central, all this other, you know, Kowloon Peninsula, all this stuff and the, and the lights and everything. But I knew there was so much more to it with the outlying islands, the new territories areas. And so that was my approach. And I tried to to get that. And there's a few images that just nailed it. And I was so thrilled and so happy. And one of those I ended up printing. And yeah, it looked good on screen. And there was just something about it. I was like, you know, when I was there photographing it and my my friend was there getting me on video commenting about the act of shooting this photo and creating this photo. And then I can see that photo on, on my screen. Yay. But holy smokes, when I printed it, I was just like speechless. I was just like, it actually worked out. I'm just, oh <laughs> right. my, I was just so excited. And even just thinking about it now, I wish I had that up on my wall. Like I still don't have it on my wall because just everything about that image, it was a chaotic image of all these different vines and leaves against this wonderfully textured building, this facade of a building that had some wrought iron, uh, you know, guarding the doors and windows and whatnot. And just the peeling paint, oh, just everything just came together so beautifully. And that's one of these things, as uh, David says, you know, this is the reason I pick up the camera. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, something like that is is just unbeatable pick a map pick a place on the map that i've been to and i can probably tell you three stories or more about just those types of experiences that says this is what keeps me going and it's just ah you know i it's the kind of where i feel now i just need to shut up because i'm gonna bore people <laughs> with just platitudes and yes i love it because i just do it, it's that's all it comes down to you know, I have another one I just thought of yeah, too. It's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've done a senior photo shoot a little bit ago where uh, there was a, it was a, a young lady that wasn't very confident with herself and her parents were making her get senior photos. And <laughs> so she was yeah. not at all excited about this photo shoot. She was dredging, dreading it. And so we, we got her going and we, we took a couple of shots and then I, I got some lighting set up and and uh, took a shot that was really nice. It was just a very, very well lit shot that that brought the best out of her for sure. And um, she she was faking it of of enjoying it, of course, the smile mm -hmm. and everything. And then as soon as I was would be not shooting, she was back to dreading it. And then I I went over and showed her the image because it was one that I was excited about. And and she said, "I actually look pretty." Oh my. <laughs> And I felt so, it, it's just, it was an amazing feeling to be able to do that. And then she just engaged nice. and she lit up and she's like, okay, can, 
what else can we do? I, I look so good in that. I want to, what else, what other kinds of photos can we take? And so there was all kinds of other poses and, and it was so much fun to see that. So it's another moment where I was like, yeah, this, this is why I like doing this. This is so much fun. That is cool. Awesome. Well, it's time to wrap it up. We've got some doodads to talk about and then we'll pretty much be done here. And that is my doodad. I ended up splurging a little bit. I got the Draycast LED 500 plus series bicolor LED light. That is an absolute mouthful. Basically what this thing is, it's a studio type light box, but it's not a box. It's just an LED panel that is dimmable. It has multiple color temperatures and it will be great for use in the office when I'm doing desk shots. Or also Mm -hmm. in the studio as well. So it's just going to be a nice, brilliant light that is going to be great for shooting videos. And I'm very much looking forward to testing that out. B&H shipped it the other day as of this recording. So, you know, it should be here anytime, I would think, by the end of the week here. And I think that's going to be a pretty cool thing to have. And how much did this thing cost? It was on special. It was two eighty or so. Okay. Uh, normally about seven hundred dollars, but B and H oh, wow. was dropping the price like crazy. And right now they still have it on a bit of a special. It is three eighty eight right now, so, and they say the regular price is seven seventy six. So uh, it's still fairly affordable. But I got it for about a hundred bucks off of the current price because the B and H has their deal zone. And I saw that pop in. I was like, mm, okay, B&H, you twisted my arm. I'll go ahead and do it. <laughs> Dangerous to go visit that deal zone at I B&H. Know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. For, for mine, I'm going to recommend the Wacom Intuos Pro Small. And um, long time listeners will know I, I did a test. Oh, it's been two or three years now between uh, a, a lesser known brand. It, it was the Monoprice brand of graphics tablet versus the Wacom brand. And there was really no comparison. The The Monoprice one, it, it works, but the, there's a reason Wacom is owning this area. And, uh, and they're, they just make really good products that, um, that do very, very well. They have had some challenges over the last year or so with some driver issues, uh, both on Mac and Windows. They've had kind of alternating issues there. Um, so some, some slight hiccups that were there, but they've, they've figured it out and it's, it's all good again. So, um, the Wacom into is pro small. I am incorporating that more into my workflow. Um, recently I, I had tried them out and I just, I thought, wow, this is just slowing me down as a hobbyist that has very little time to work on editing. I can't have it be slowed down by using this tablet that I'm just not used to and figuring it out. So I am incorporating it more though, because uh, there are some, some big advantages if you can get it to, to figure out how to work it. And one of the things that I'm, I'm trying recently, cause I, I've, I saw Aaron, Aaron Nace is a, the guy over at Flurn. Mm-hmm. Aaron's a great, great guy. I've, I've interacted with him a little bit now and one of the keys that he provided was to change the active size on the tablet from being the whole width of the tablet, which is huge and requires like arm movements to go across it. And he just uses a little, it's, he says it's, it's about the size of a business card. He sets the active area to oh be about the size of a business card. And now only wrist movements are all that it takes to go across the entire screen. And little tiny, tiny movements will, will work very, very 
very well. And, um, and so I'm, I've, I'm trying that out and that, that has made a massive difference to set that active size on the tablet huh. to be really, really small. So quick tip there and, and something you can try out. I, I don't know because of that, because of that recommendation, they make a small, medium and large version of the tablets and maybe for, for other types of creative uses like uh, digital uh, sketching right. work. Maybe there's a, a bigger need for something like a bigger tablet. Right. But for photographers and, and Aaron, who's a real master with that tablet, uh, his recommendation there, you don't need anything bigger than the small. So I, that's why I'd recommend the small. That's very interesting. I never th- considered reducing the active area of that. Well, I have like five of the medium size at work. Uh, but we're definitely doing digital sketching and painting and the like. So there's definitely mm-hmm. some good things there. But uh, yeah, with standard quote unquote work. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. I'll have to give that a try. Yeah. I, I like that idea. All right. A few reminders for y'all. We have the masterphotographypodcast.com uh, is the home for the show. So that website, masterphotographypodcast.com, check it out for show notes and the like. And then we have, of course, the Facebook group that we've already talked about. You'll need to answer a question that is name one of the hosts, Jeff or Brent will certainly work. And then there's Brian, Connor, and Erica. Those will also work. Those will be great. And you can just search for that on Facebook. And then we have also an Instagram account at Master Photography Podcast. Jeff, where can they find your work? So my portfolio is at jsharmanphotos.com. Most of of everything that I have is there. And then there's a lot of uh, social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find those in the show notes. Um, So I won't bore you with them here, but you can go see those there. Then I have my other podcast over at phototacopodcast.com. Every month I put out a podcast that dives very deep into some kind of technical topic usually. This last month I talked with Steve Brazel about... uh, uh, concert photography and like getting started into it. So assuming you've never shot a concert, a music concert, what do you need to know about that? How do you go about doing it? How do you get into them? Stuff like that. So it was, it was really fun. Steve is, is an amazing concert photographer and, uh, and he shared some really great tips. So if you're interested or think you might be interested, like maybe you've got a really heavy interest in music that goes along with your photography and you'd like to marry those two, you can do it. And, uh, and Steve had some good tips for you. So that's over at phototacopodcast.com. Love to have you go check out that podcast. Cool. And you can check out my personal podcast also at latitudephotographypodcast.com. That's where I focus on the genres of travel and landscape, nature photography. And the episode coming up, I'll probably be publishing it shortly after you are hearing this one for the first time. That is, I'm going to talk about a little bit of my trip to San Francisco, shooting the A6400. That's the only camera I took with me. And then also thinking a little bit about, I've finally worked enough with the iPad Pro to talk a little bit about it as a mobile platform for you know uh, editing mobily and whatnot. So I'll talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, the main website, just my name, brentbergherm.com. I've got that course about photo printing. So it's master photo printing course. If you've uh, played around with a printer or something like that and you want to go a little deeper, a lot deeper, and understand all the nuances and all those different little tips and tricks and all those different techniques that you can consider using for your photography. And I want to stress it's something too. There's a lot of different options I show, and I'm more about helping you learn the tool and then helping you understand my process 
for how to approach that so you can then think about it, okay, this is how that would go for how he approached it. How would I approach it now? It's a good way to, to get that print going in the right direction. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate you being here. And we're just thrilled to have you along for the ride. And we'll see you again in another seven days. Bye-bye.